Good morning once again. Happy New Year's Eve. Who else had, anybody else have to jumpstart their car this morning? I did. Somebody on Facebook I know lives in Kentucky and shared the temperature there was 20 degrees. Like, oh, and she was like, oh, it's so cold. I said, 20 degrees? I didn't even put on my heavy coat for 20 degrees. By the way, passage this morning out of Romans chapter 12. Um, it's not the cold, though. It's the humidity. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I pray for this new year, for 2018 to be a year of growth and knowing you, Lord, for all of us, of trusting in you more deeply, to pray with more conviction, to confess with greater sincerity, to study the Bible with more intensity, to love people more selflessly, to bless others more abundantly, and to worship more fully. Father, I, I pray for this year. I pray for our time this morning, that we can be faithful to your word and to your gospel, that we can continually know you better, Lord, and that while the change of a calendar can be and appear to be a good time, it's always the right time, Lord, to have faith, to continue trusting in you and pursuing you and following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in this passage that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. <clears throat> but first he begins by saying, I appeal to you, therefore. I'm actually going to skip ahead a minute. I appeal to you, therefore. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this little rule of studying the Bible before that whenever you see the word therefore... You have to find out what it's there for. And that's a good rule to keep in mind with the word therefore, because the word therefore is always there for something that preceded it in the text. It might be therefore what was in the previous verse, therefore might be therefore what was in the previous paragraph. Romans 12 is a pretty big therefore. It's pretty much therefore the entire book of Romans up to chapter 12. Um, chapter 1, verse 18 through the end of chapter 11 in Romans is essentially one really long section. If you've never done it, you should read it in a sitting sometime. Just the logical flow of what's going on in those passages. Um, I, so considering that there's so much context of the book of Romans that influences this, therefore, I thought it'd be helpful to start off by giving just a little bit of, of context of the book of Romans. Romans is a book about the righteousness of God and his salvation for people through faith in the gospel. Romans is a book that shows us the glory of God's grace for sinful people through faith in Jesus and in the gospel. 
Romans is a book that does not hide from the stark reality of sin. It's a book that talks about the people of God, the Israelites, chosen by God, given the word of God, knowing the will of God, but they could not follow it because of sin. For instance, Romans 3, 20 and 20, or 3, 10 through 12, I mismarked this slide. Uh, no one is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's the bad news. But throughout Romans, a drum that Paul keeps beating is in salvation by faith. Romans really reads like a love letter to the doctrine of justification by faith. It is about trusting in Jesus, the life that he lived, the death that he died to sin, the life he was raised to, and that he invites us into through faith. Romans 6 says, All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. An exemplar a faith that Paul points to in Romans is Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. The words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. But make no mistake, because the book of Romans is not teaching any type of easy believism. It's not about just saying you have faith in a gospel that you don't actually believe in. It's about truly trusting in Jesus. Chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. With everything that Paul said in Romans about sin and justification through faith, now we come to chapter 12 and the therefore. Really, it's Paul getting at the personal application for this long section. Romans is an intensely theological book. John Calvin said of Romans, to understand Romans is to understand the whole Bible. Romans is a book that anybody who loves studying the Bible counts as among their favorite books in the Bible. An intensely theological book, but chapter 12 is now getting at the personal application, what it means to the life of a believer and how to live it out. So what we'll be doing this morning is focusing sort of on three ideas and just a couple of words to keep in mind are what, why, and how. 
And the main idea I want to focus on this morning from this text is that Jesus died for you, live for him. So going into verse one, first idea, first point, what we are called to do. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Living sacrifice. This would have been a striking metaphor in Paul's day. In our day, we don't have sacrifices. It seems ancient, like rooting for the Packers. But in Paul's day, he was writing to a Roman and a Jewish audience. And both of those groups would have been familiar with sacrifices. For Jewish people, the Old Testament had a complex sacrificial system. Among several types of offerings, there were offerings for sin. Now, the sacrifices, I said this during communion, the sacrifices in the Old Testament did not atone for sin in themselves, but they pointed to Jesus, who was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. It was also something that was done as an act of faith in the forgiveness of the Lord. But they pointed to Jesus as the ultimate and perfect sacrifice, who was the sacrificial lamb, who gave himself for our sins so we could be forgiven. And so this would have vividly stood out to a Jewish person, because they would have stood with an animal, placing your hand on it and identifying that animal with yourself and then seeing the animal ritually killed, its blood literally spilled. But pagan Romans, again, would have also been familiar with sacrifices. They had a pantheon of gods in whom they believed. And sacrifices were part of daily life. Depending on the Roman deity or god that a person wanted, there would be different requirements. For instance, if they wanted something from the god of war or the god of the sea, there would be different things, different sacrifices. But ultimately, both groups were familiar with sacrifices. In both of those systems, when you were sacrificing an animal, it couldn't just be any old animal. You couldn't just find a, a sickly lamb or goat that was about to die it had to be an animal that was perfect without blemish or defect. It had to be your best that you were sacrificing. And that's part of what it means to be living lives as living sacrifices. That we don't give God the scraps. We give God our best. We exist to glorify God and to bring him honor. Living sacrifices. It's not meant to be something that we just do at certain times of the day or certain days of the week, but a way of life, what we live for, God. And again, we should also see, as we consider this idea, the perfection of Christ. People had to bring their best to God for sacrifices, and it is Jesus who is the best and the ultimate sacrifice. And talking about the quality of Jesus as the sacrifice, 1 Peter 1.19, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. 
to atone for the tremendous cost of sin. Jesus alone was the ultimate and perfect and worthy sacrifice. The only sacrifice who was able to actually take away the penalty of sins. Livestock couldn't atone for sin, but Jesus as God on earth was able to take our punishment on our behalf. Jesus died for you, live for him. He shows the tremendous cost of sin, that it took his life to atone for your sin, to pay for your sin. Living as living sacrifices. Now, if a person is rescued, maybe they're in water and they can't swim. Maybe they have some sort of health emergency and need to call an ambulance. Maybe there's a fire and they need to be rescued. The person who saves you from that, you might not ever see that person again. That's not the gospel. It's not that Jesus rescued from you from your sin and you say, okay, see you around. It's not that he rescued from your sin and now you're all good. Romans 6.13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Romans 6.18, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's living with Jesus and for Jesus every day. To appreciate the gospel is to recognize that you weren't fine on your own. That you weren't going the right way on your own. That you needed a savior. And that savior saves you to a better life. A truer life. He saves you from a life that was opposed to God into a life that is supposed to be dedicated to God, consecrated to God, living as a living sacrifice to God. Jesus died for you. Live for him. The sacrifices in the Old Testament were holy and set apart for God. And for the person who is in Christ, you too are called to be holy and set apart for God. To serve him and to love his people and to minister to them. Animals offered up without blemish or sacrifice. And we too are called to live lives where we're not blemished and defiled by sin. But holy. Second part. Why we are called to live as a living sacrifice. Uh, continuing sort of the second part of verse 1. He gets to the purpose for why. He says it's a form of spiritual worship. Living for God is a matter of worshiping God. Worship is not just something that we do on Sunday mornings. It's what we are created to do. It's what all Christians are to do for eternity in heaven. But in life, we have an opportunity to constantly be in worship of the Lord. I think we often have a low view of worship, like it's a chore that we have to do. But it's meant to be a natural expression of gratitude to the God who redeemed us from sin. I was watching an interview this week with an Old Testament scholar who is actually an atheist. And she was critical of the New Testament, of Paul's letters, among which Romans is one of them. She said that Paul was too harsh, 
too negative on people, talk too much about sin. I don't know if she's ever read the prophets in the Old Testament, but that's a different... But we can't appreciate the price that Jesus paid without understanding the debt that we had racked up because of sin. Saying that Jesus paid your debt for you is one thing. But if you don't know you had a debt, you might not really care. Saying Jesus paid off your debt and knowing that you owed a million, billion, billion dollars, that you were crippled by debt, that you had no freedom because of that debt, is an entirely different thing. And because of sin, you had a debt that you could not pay, but Jesus paid that price with his life. And so in realizing what Jesus has done for us, the pit that he has pulled us up from, that is meant for us to respond in worshiping God. Not as a chore, but as a way of life. Constantly thanking and praising God for the grace and forgiveness that he has given to us through the gospel. We should also worship God because God is God, that he is inherently worthy of worship. Psalm 145, 3, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You ever get tired of something? I feel like I usually at any given time have like one game downloaded on my phone, and I'll play it for a couple weeks and basically master it, just be... (laughs) And then it's just not that much fun anymore. God's greatness is unsearchable. John 4, 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus died for you. Live for him. Worship him. So, so far, Paul's talking about living sacrifices, about the worship of God. Third point, how we live as living sacrifices. Beginning in verse 2. Paul makes a point about what it is to be a living sacrifice of God. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Are you influencing people? When a bunch of non-Christian friends or family members or coworkers get together gossiping or colorful conversation that isn't honoring to God, do you just jump into that without a moment's hesitation? Just get pulled into the worldliness? Or do you influence others? That's not to say we need to be Pharisees, self-righteous, always holier than thou, always judging everyone we interact with. But are we living lives consistent? Are we living as consistent Christians in all areas of our lives? Or do we act one way at church, one way at work, one way with your buddies, The world likes to despise Christianity, to blame Christians and ridicule Christians for being simple-minded, oppressive, judgmental. But the Judeo-Christian tradition has so largely influenced the modern world. Great scientists of the Age of Enlightenment were deeply religious. People like Isaac Newton, famous for his laws of gravity, and Francis Bacon, famous for discovering bacon. I didn't do that, but... Deeply devout and religious men. Influential Christians in the development of modern medicine and modern hospitals. 
Many of the early American hospitals founded by Christians exemplifying Christian virtues such as service and charity and empathy for the suffering. Countless schools and orphanages founded by Christian missionaries all over the world. The first universities in Europe supported by the church. Later on in America, of the eight Ivy League schools, seven of them were founded by Christians with Christian missions. And actually 106 of the first 108 American universities founded as Christian schools. The gospel civilized Europe, and it was the bedrock for America's founding. The Judeo-Christian tradition has influenced ethics, the laws, legal protections that exist in many Western cultures, including the United States. Not to mention the religious convictions of most of our founding fathers, as well as the historical roots for Christianity in our colonies. But that's all on a broader, bigger scale. Positive contributions of Christianity to society. But it's also happened in a million different ways for a million different Christians throughout the world, throughout time, who have shared the love of Christ with others, spread the gospel, had lives that were dead in sin and transformed by the gospel. And a transformed life is meant to influence others. It's meant to be a witness to the faith that we have in Jesus. Living sacrifices. Jesus died for you. Live for him. How are you honestly doing at that? For some, it's better than others, I'm sure. But how are you doing? Are you shining as light of the gospel? Or is your life honestly very much unchanged? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we would be known by our fruit. Like we've said, Romans talks about the supreme value of faith in its role of salvation. That that's the things that we do are not the basis for God loving us. And so the way how we are called to live isn't so that God will love us. Instead, we are called to live as living sacrifices because we know that God loves us. And in that, we are called to not conform to worldliness and sinfulness. But we want people to like us. And it's so easy to be conformist. Part of how we battle that is given as the verse continues. We, we avoid being conformed to the world when we, as Paul says, are transformed by the renewal of our minds. And that is a lifelong process. The Greek word Paul uses here for transformed is a word I've talked about before from the Greek metamorphometha, from which we get our word metamorphosis. God is working a metamorphosis in us. He's changing us into a totally new thing because of the gospel. And part of the means by which God does that is a transformed mind. There are so many things we can be exposed to in the course of a day which are not honoring to God. Things that we just see at work or at school with family or things we just come across. I'm not saying they're all things that we actively even seek out and search out. It's just around us. But things which are conforming our minds to worldliness more than they are to godliness. All of our waking moments, our minds taking in different things, interactions, thoughts, TV shows we watch, music we listen to, the conversations we have are over here. 
exposed to so many different things in the course of a day that are not honoring to God. And to be renewing our minds, focusing on godly things, turning our attention and affection to God, that's something that takes effort. Because we live in a world that is not naturally pointing us to God. Last week we celebrated Christmas. The day where the birth of the Lord Jesus is celebrated. The coming into the world of the Savior of the world. Yet it's striking, and I know I'm not the only person who's noticed this, how many of the popular Christian songs aren't even about Jesus. Billboard's top five most popular Christmas songs right now. Look this up. Number five, Feliz Navidad. To me, that's like the most annoying Christmas. But. Number four, Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms. Number three, my lines are off, I'm sorry about that. The Christmas Song. Number two, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Number one, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. I don't think any of those songs even mention Jesus. And I'm not saying those songs are all bad, by the way. But my point is that our culture is not exactly one that is revolving around Christ, on being a good ecosystem for the transformation and renewal of people's minds. It doesn't just naturally happen. It takes a daily pursuit of God. We aren't to receive our instructions from a secular culture. It comes from God transforming us. Through the Christian life, it's a continual process. I've been watching college football this weekend, the bowl games. Football is my favorite sport because it's the best one. And I think back to when I first started watching football. Went to my first Ohio State football game when I was nine with my dad. I didn't know anything about football at the time. It's a complicated game. But by the end of it, next year, I knew so much more about it. And in the more than 20 years since, I feel like every year... I understand football a little bit better than the year before. There's different things I, I look at in the game. There's different things that, to me, stick out about a, a player, the, the talent and skill that they have. And I know in 20 years from now, if, Lord willing, I'm still around, I'll understand the game better then than I do now. When we have minds that are devoted to God and growing in God, throughout life, we grow in our knowledge of God. Our minds are transformed. It's meant to be a continual process, the renewing of the mind. And as Paul continues to elaborate, he gives us part of, um, part of the purpose for why we do that. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you discern and know the will of God? I love this quote from R.C. Sproul. Great pastor who went home to be with the Lord a few weeks ago. He says, do you want to know what the will of God is? You have to study the word of God. You have to think like God. You have to have a new mind. And if you want a new mind, you have to study the word of God more rigorously than you've ever studied anything in your life. There is no magical way to know the will of God apart from knowing the word of God. There's nothing magical about knowing the will of God, to having a mind that is transformed by God. It's knowing what God says and living in accordance with that. 
But that requires knowing God's word. It's so easy to find reasons for why you don't have time to read the Bible. It takes effort and intentionality. Spending time in God's word every day. But the importance of that cannot be overstated. Otherwise, we're just offering our own speculation. Instead, let's study his word. And as we're on the verge of a new year, and as many of us are making New Year's resolutions, let me make a challenge to you to spend time in God's word every day in 2018. And if I can add to that challenge, the Bible has 1,189 chapters. If you read three chapters a day and a fourth on Saturdays and Sundays, you'll read through the whole Bible in 2018, 15 to 20 minutes a day. If you do that and then do that next year and then the year after that, by the time you're an old person or an older person, Think about the experience of life in knowing God's word and studying that. No matter what age you are, that's a great thing to start. Knowing God's word better. Because in studying God's word, we learn what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, otherwise we're just speculating. And that doesn't transform our minds being living sacrifices to the Savior who gave his life for you and living for him. And while I'm on the subject of the new year, I I like New Year's. I know it's not a a biblical holiday. It's just kind of a cultural thing. But it always gives me a sense of optimism, a new calendar, a new date to right wrong for about six weeks. And all of us have things in our lives we'd like to change, things we wish were different. Maybe you've tried before and failed. But that doesn't mean things can never change. How is your relationship with God today? What's an area where you can grow in the next year with God? A year is a long time. A lot lot happens in a year. This day, two years ago, I was living in Illinois, not knowing people could survive at these temperatures, (laughs) never having heard of Fergus Falls. A year ago today, I didn't know Carrie at all. Now we're married. For some of us, 2018 will be one of the best years of our lives. For others, one of the worst. For others, it might be the last one. And that's not a joke. That's a, we don't know. But regardless of the types of successes and failures we have in the new year, regardless of how much money we have or don't have, how good our health is or isn't, how, how our family life is, we can begin the year by renewing our minds and turning our attention to God, to keeping God first, to trusting in God above all things, to having a desire and a daily pursuit to know God better, to serve him better. And if you commit to that, in spite of the victories and difficulties that you might or might not have in the next year, that it will be with God. And that that's all you truly need. God is all you need. 
That's not to say everything we do will prosper in the next year. Have you been walking with God and knowing God, but in some areas of your life kind of holding back? Never really letting loose and living for him in the way that you know you could and should. Knowing that you would have more joy and fulfillment if you did that, but just getting bogged down by this day-to-day stresses. Make this year the year where your relationship with God goes to new heights. Make it a turning point in your spiritual life, in your life of faith, growing with God every day, pursuing him more fully, living as a living sacrifice to the God who died for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings you've given to us. For the challenges we face this year, Lord, we know that all things do work together, even when we don't see it at the time. And may we trust that you are still working in situations. May we not lose heart, Lord, but continue to daily focus on you and grow in you. And have a faith in your gospel, the salvation that comes through trusting in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.